and thank you for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. We're the show that tackles some tough topics, and I all, you know, every week I think I say this week's tough topic is really tough, and uh, I really emphasize it. But I have to say, I'm not sure this week's topic is going to be really tough because it sounds very hopeful to me. I'll let you decide for yourself after you listen to our guest, Melissa Enter. Melissa, are you there? I am here. Thank you for having me. And you're Thank right. You. Our topic is not tough. It's going to be fun. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, well, Melissa, I'm going to let you give us a little bit of your background. The topic of our show is recovery, massage, and trauma. And Somehow, I mean, everybody loves a good massage, but what on earth does that have to do with trauma? And let's back up before you answer that. Tell me how you got involved with this. What's your background, Melissa? My background is actually in early childhood. And um, I was went to California. I'm in Minnesota. And I went to California to be trained to teach infant massage to parents. And I came across the massage and school program I do not have a massage background. Um, in fact, before I even started with the program, I never had a massage in my life. But when I read about the program, I went, you know what? We are so busy telling children what not to do, not to touch, but it's a biological need. And here is finally a program that teaches children how to touch when it's appropriate to touch, and how to build and respect their own boundaries and respect other people's boundaries. So intrigued with that, I um, started to investigate more and um, became a trainer with the program. Huh. Okay, so I'm going to ask you, first of all, when you say massage for trauma, are you talking about the kind of massage that, that, that you know, I mean, sometimes we do for our little spa days. My my daughter and I used to have what we called our spa days, and and every now and then we'd go and have a massage at one of the cheaper places. You know, not necessarily a fancy spa, but you know, we'd have a little massage, and then we might go out to lunch or something. And that was our mother daughter day. Um, is that the same kind of massage, or is this a, is this no? Sort it's of not. Different? Okay, how is it different? That, that sounds like a lot of fun, but how? But this is pretty much a simplified seated chair massage. And it's done only child to child. Adults don't touch the children unless it's a parent-child relationship. And um, done through clothing, no oils. And it's things like, do you remember when you were a child and you wrote your name or a word out on a friend's back? Oh, yes. Or on the palm of their hand or something, yeah. Yep, it, it's it's that type of touch. It's drawing hearts on your friend's back or making bunny hops in their hand. So it's a it's not massage the way we think of massage. It's it's using appropriate touch that's gentle and nurturing. Okay. So basically, you're not doing a, a therapeutic massage. You're not saying, "Oh, this muscle is 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 worn here, and so we have to really massage that one, and, you know, let it loose, and all that kind of stuff." You're saying that no. this is more of a, this is how we can um, feel better or something. I mean, it always feels better. To, my my mother um, always would, if we were sitting and watching TV or something, she'd always take my hand. And between my, on the inside of my arm, between my wrist and my elbow, she would just run her finger up and down 
And golly, I still love that if somebody does that for me. It's never <laughs> quite the same for yourself, you know. But that, that's right. what we're talking. We're not saying, oh, we have to work out this, the kink in this muscle. No, absolutely. In fact, we're not even that concerned about how the children do the routine or the techniques. You know, sometimes with the little children, um, they're, if they're doing a certain stroke, it may not look anything like what we taught them to do. And, and that's not the issue. But the issue is, is that are they using an appropriate touch? Are they showing respect and boundaries? Are they connecting with people? Even a light touch, like if you go into a store and the sales associate touches you, your thoughts of how beneficial that visit to the store was, um, your opinion of the store goes way up, and you don't even realize that you've been touched. Oh, really? When you, yep, when you look at sports teams, and the teams that get into the huddle and actually touch, they will do better than the ones who huddle without touch. Well, you know, that my theory um, on male, male sports, my, my theory is, is that men, men just got together and, and started these sports teams so that they have reason to touch each other on the rear ends. That's, that's my theory, you know, to pat <laughs> each other. You know, I think that that's why I just invented the whole game. I don't think that has anything to do with sport. I think it has to do with, this is the need for touch. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, it touches a biological need. And when we look at the iron cribs in Romania in 1990s and those children who didn't thrive because they didn't have touch, um, experiments that were done in the 1920s where infants were left in a crib, they were fed, they were, diapers were changed, but they weren't held and coddled, and they all ended up dying. Um, oh. People need touch. It, it's the one, it's the very first sense that we um, get in utero, and it's the last sense to leave us when we die. And without mm. touch, we cannot function. I mean, we wouldn't be able to walk if we couldn't touch and fill the floor below us. Um, it's, it's just essential to our being. Yeah. And so okay. we need it in so, our lives. Yeah. So you keep saying appropriate touch, appropriate touch. I mean, I think we can kind of figure out what's inappropriate, but but what, I mean, obviously, you don't want to touch somebody in a sexual way. You don't want to touch somebody, you know, in that way. But how do you define appropriate touch? Well, how do we know what's appropriate? I mean, I just, I, honest to goodness, I just came back from vacation this morning, and um, we were taking pictures, and, you know, we met this, this these lovely people in a restaurant, and, and we were taking pictures of each other and exchanging information. And as I went to stand next to the man, he threw his arm around me for the picture. <laughs> and I kind of went, uh, okay. <laughs> but it was, it, was, it was not something I expected. Was that inappropriate? Was that, I mean, I think it was just kind of cultural because I think they do that more in their culture than I didn't do in mine. But what's the difference? How do you know what's appropriate, and does it vary from person to person? It can vary from person to person, and it varies cultural and situation and relationship-wise of what's appropriate. But what we teach children is that we always ask permission before we touch somebody. Okay. And, um, and we always wait for that, too, for them to respond. And we start that off with infant massage, where... Before we, we teach parents that before they even touch their babies to give them a massage, 
to ask that permission and wait for them to give a cue that they want to participate. And infants will learn really quickly when a massage is coming and they will giggle, they will create eye contact, they will smile, um, or they will turn away or they will get the hiccups and get stressed. Oh, really? And when our children, yeah, and when our children are raised with being asked before we touch them, you know how some, um, and I know that I've been guilty of it. I'm running out the door and I grab the baby and go without giving any, any indication to the baby that I'm going to pick them up and grab them because I'm in a hurry and I don't stop and think about what's respectful to the child. But when we mm-hmm. do that, when we take that time to ask that respect and ask for those that permission to touch and establish that boundaries in there that the body is theirs, think about when that child grows up and gets into situations where someone is giving them an unwanted touch. They have that innate sense that they don't have to allow that. And, and that so, ability to know to say that they can say no yeah. and have that respected. Yeah. And think okay, about think about when you expect somebody to respond in a way, how much more apt they are to respond that way. So if I expect you to respect me, you are much more apt to respect me than if I come to you expecting that you don't have to use any boundaries around me. But I I can see that there would be benefits to that. But then doesn't, I mean, if we do that too much, though, if we take that to an extreme, I mean, surely in a normal loving relationship parents can reach over and hug their kids without asking their permission can't they or or are you saying no oh absolutely absolutely and and you develop those relationships um giving someone a massage that's a little more intimate i mean my kids are adults and i'll just run over and start giving them a hug or something you know um Mm -hmm. i mean that's just the way it is you know yeah, um, and I, I, and I do well, too because we have that relationship. Yeah, and you're saying that that relationship is forged from infancy forward. Correct. Correct. But I, you know, honest you, with you, I don't recall asking or even thinking about um, garnering any kind of permission before I touched any of my children. I mean, if they were crying, they had a boo boo or whatever, I'd ask them, you know, can I see? Can I see? You know, that kind of thing. But I mean. As far mm-hmm. as just hugging, whatever. I mean, and if they didn't want it, they'd just jump off my lap and go away. So, I mean, it, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't like I was tying them down and forcing them to have a hug. But um, I don't right. recall garnering any particular permission to touch my children. And you're saying that that's a good idea? Well, and maybe you were not doing it verbally, but you're holding your arms out and say, come here, let mommy hold you. Mm-hmm. You know, let me give you a hug. Yeah. And so okay. you're you're doing those things, but you're not even thinking about them because you're doing it in a natural, respectful way of your child. Or yeah. you're saying, I need to hug you, and you hold your arms out. And if they turn around and say, uh-uh, you would respect that. You know, and it's like, you know, the aunt and the grandma and whatnot coming to the house, and 
not saying you have to hug them, but yeah. giving the child that respect. Yeah. Of being yeah, able to I, I say no. As a child, and I don't think my children ever had it, but I've seen it, you know, where they say, go kiss mm-hmm. aunt so-and-so, you know, and the kid doesn't want to at all, and they're going, go kiss your aunt so-and-so, you know. Um, so right. I can appreciate that. Yeah. I, I, I think there's a difference between forcing that kind of affection and, and just being respectful. I think, I don't know, maybe it was perceived when when people started doing that, maybe they perceived it as, that was a form of respect, you know, go kiss aunt so-and-so, that's that's how you show your respect for her. But, Correct. yeah, yeah, I, but that's you not know, necessarily anything. It's not necessarily yeah. respectful, or it's not respectful for the child. And mm-hmm. if we want children to grow up respecting other people's boundaries, we have to show them respect for their boundaries. Sure. But is there a, a a time at which it um it it's like I don't know I mean sometimes I look at kids and I I know this is probably just you know my old codgerdom because I I definitely recognize that I have slid down that slippery slope into old codgerdom I I have I have arrived I'm there um, but sometimes I look at at kids and I think wow these kids really have a confidence and a, a sense about them um, that my generation certainly never had, um, and and part of me thinks that's good, but part of me thinks eh, maybe they carried a little too far. You know, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Um, is that just me, or do you see that that it could be an issue? Do you see that as coming from too much respect, or do you see that from them getting too much entitlement. Entitlement, I guess. Yeah, I I think it is the entitlement. Yeah, um, because they're I mean they're really I I think it started going out the window a long time ago. But the idea, of, mm-hmm. for example, respecting your elders just because they're your elders for no other reason, um, it, you know, and and now I don't see that that is, I mean, I can't even tell you the last time I heard somebody say respect somebody just because they're your old, your elder. I mean, that's pretty much gone out the window. Mm-hmm. And yet, I think, you know, in, in our culture anyway, but and yet in other cultures, that's still very, very prominent. And there's something very nice about that, about acknowledging that somebody who has lived a long time and has had many experiences may in fact deserve some respect from you. You don't necessarily have to buy everything they say or kowtow to them, but to just kind of give them some sort of for having lived a long and, uh, you know, a a longer life than you have and having seen more of the world and more of the situations in life than you have. I think that that's probably a good thing. And yet we don't really do that in our culture anymore, I don't think. When you go and visit your parents, do you expect your children to show them respect. I did, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. But I see a lot of families where the the grandchildren will say things that I think I'm horrified by um, to the grandparents. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and a lot of that comes from we have become disconnected as a society and we don't have those relationships anymore. Yeah. And as we become on our devices, 
you know, our brains are getting rewired for these quick fixes and everything is immediate and right now. And so when we get away from those relationships, then we lose that sense of respect for other people. Yeah. So when we are teaching children, like with the Massage in School program, when we are teaching them to slow down, take that time, ask permission with one of the things that we do is a peer-to-peer, child-to-child, you know, seated chair routine. Um, The Massage in School program is made up of not only that, but also of doing story massage and also doing um, touch and movement activities that use connection with other, you know, building the community relationships. Um, But so when they're doing that, they're asking that permission first and foremost. And Mm -hmm. so if they're doing it on a daily basis, every day they're looking at somebody in the eye and they're seeing them and they're saying, is it okay if I touch you and waiting for that response from that person? Uh Now, when they do that, when they practice that every day, they also go, they leave the classroom and they do that on the playground. They go home and they do that with their siblings. They do that with their parents because it becomes a part of who they are. Mm -hmm. When they are doing a stroke, if they are making a heart on somebody's back, they'll say, is the pressure right? Does it feel good to you? And they're listening to that person and they're adjusting to what that person's needs are. So when I I want to talk a little bit about the actual program. What is the massage in school program? Why was it why why is it a thing? It was brought out of the infant massage um program. The two founders of it, Sylvie had Sylvia had two and um Mia Elmsader. Um, Sylvia's from Canada and Mia is from um, Sweden, although she originally was from the U.S. And they both are infant, they both were infant massage trainers. And they were getting people saying, you know, my child has grown out of the massage in school or the infant massage. What next? You know, what can we still do? And Uh they were getting asked by teachers in school, do you have something that we can do to help calm the children down when they would have children with ADD or ADHD or autism or um, anything that was keeping the children from becoming as focused as they needed them to be and um, and not disruptive in the classroom? And so they started um, showing a few little strokes and stuff that, you know, only, well, maybe you could try this. And it worked really well, and the children really liked it, and all the other children started saying, well, where is my massage? And mm-hmm. they're like, well, there's no way we can massage all the children. This is done at a preschool level. And, um, and in Sweden, where touch is much more acceptable than in the U.S. here. And they, um, so they started devising this peer-to-peer routine, and they started talking back and forth and comparing what was happening in their own environments and came up with a program and it worked really well. And then other people started wanting to know about the program. So it kind of had a real natural growth. And then they were at a conference and they were talking to um, 
I want to say schoolmaster, but that's not it. It's the, the head guy in one of the schools in London. And it was the bottom of the barrel school. It was the school that had the most problems. It was the school that had the lowest grades. And they said, just try this. And he's like, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a group of students, and if it works for them, we'll look at it doing it through the school. And so, of course, he gave them the toughest students he had. And mm-hmm. they went in and they tried it with them, and it worked really well. These children were calmer. They were becoming more concerned about um, the other students. They were being more respectful. They were learning better. And so they decided to do it throughout the school. And that year, they did nothing different in that school except for the program. And after that first year, they were no longer in the bottom, um, at the bottom school. They were not even the, in the bottom third. They had risen so much with just using the program and having that daily routine of teaching respect okay. and boundaries. Years or what? What are you talking? Uh, bottoms and um, bottom third and all that. Are you talking grades or behaviors? Both. Huh. Okay. Yeah. It's it's pretty amazing when you watch the children with it, um, because what happens is that when you have in four walls, oxytocin's released, and oxytocin's your feel good hormone. And so when you are connecting with somebody and you have that energy connection and that oxytocin connection, you no longer want to go and bully the child or to hurt them on the playground. You feel good about where you are. And the oxytocin within four walls will stay in the room. So even the children who are not participating, they will benefit from that. Even the teacher who does not participate, she benefits just from being in the room. Mm-hmm. So she's calmer. She's got a better day. And the routine, using the finger muscles, develops that fine motor skills. And so their writing skills, their cutting skills, their, um, you know, anything to do with fine motor increases. They're crossing the sure. midline. And so you've got the neural pathways that are growing in the brain. You are using large muscle um, actions that are developing the large muscles and so you know that has all those benefits to it and you're also when children come into school they're generally coming in in a reptilian brain that very basic brain of you know get out the door everything's a little hectic going out the door there's not too many people that have this leisure breakfast and drive slowly to school and you know and arrive Children generally come in with a little bit of a frenzy coming into the room and coming in off the playground. And the teacher says, you know, get out your books, let's get started. Well, they need to transition. They need something to take them from that reptilian brain into the neocortex, the more developed thinking part of the brain. And there are different things that can do that. You can do that with meditation. You can do that with song or music or drumming or um different activities like that and the massage and school program is one of those activities that takes that child from that reptilian brain to that neocortex where they're ready to learn all right so with the massage and school program what what age group are we talking we're talking four-year-olds into 12-year-olds um we do have a mini mist 
which is for two and three year olds, but it's kind of a simplified version. Um, not really the full program whatsoever, but just kind of an introductory to it. Uh huh. Okay. So, so basically, and, uh, older preschool to about fifth grade. Okay. And so, how does it work? I mean, if a school wants to try this, I mean, is there an organization that they go to? How do they find out about it? How do they learn what to do? Um, well, we got MisaUSA dot com, which is our um, U.S. site, and then the massageinschools.com is the international site. We're in over 40 different countries right now, so it's a big expanded program. Um, and then we have trainings like this next weekend. I'm actually doing a training um, on the Ho Chunk Tribal Agency is hosting a training in Milwaukee, and it's going to be a really big exciting training because their first one in the US where the whole community is involved and um, we have teachers and massage therapists and um, people who have worked with trauma agencies Head Start mm -hmm. agencies um, basically everything that are coming to this training and okay. so so they can look on the website and they can find any of the trainings. Or if we don't have a training in their area, they can contact myself or one of the other trainers and ask for us to start or to get a training going for them. And then we work with them and we work with the other agencies in um, their city to build up mm -hmm. that training. Okay. Um, so the Fashion Schools is a whole great big organization. And it was started how many years ago? It was started in the year 2000, and it started okay. in the U.S. at about 2011. Okay. So, okay. So, for about 20 years, the, the, this has been a thing. And so, there should be some research as to the benefits of it, and that's what you were referring to. Um, but what does it have to do with trauma? Because when we first started out the program, you know, and some of the literature... We were talking about trauma, yeah. Yeah, we were talking about massage and trauma. And so I guess I had it in my head that we're talking about kids who had been through some particularly traumatic experience. Everybody goes through trauma. It just depends on mm -hmm. the severity of it and how you deal with it, et cetera. And I had it in my head that when we first talked about this, that we were talking about, um, you know, kids that had maybe experienced a school shooting or particularly sad losses through death or something like that. But you're telling me that this is a program for all children. So where does the trauma come in? The trauma comes in, if you look at like what Dr. Bruce Perry or um, Dr. Nadine um, Burke-Harris talk about what children need who have experienced trauma, they need that repetitive, rhythmic, and relational to um, to help them develop those skills to be able to handle trauma and to um, handle the stress of it and to um, heal the brain. And the Massage and School program has all those things. It develops the relationships between, in families, it is a child to family or a young child to parent, um, can do the routine or to do the story massage. In the school system, they're developing the relationships. Um, the repetitiveness of it and the rhythm of it helps to make those connections and those healing 
um, in the brain as they connect with their other students. You know, once, once we're connected with other people, we can start to heal. But if we are not connected, cannot heal. Mm-hmm. Now, I do do um, trainings outside of the massage and school program through my own company, Connected by Touch, um, more specifically with families, adoptive and foster care families with trauma, where we go out a little bit more with different relationship, um, relational activities and um, story massage and developing stories and connecting that way as well. Um, but, but it's all about developing that relationship and using the healing aspects of touch to connect with other people. We will find that the children, um, one of the things that I hear from children is that when they go to school, nobody sees them. Nobody knows that I'm there or cares. And so when we can do a program like this on a daily basis, every day somebody sees you and somebody knows that you're there and they're listening to you and you have developed your place in the classroom or in the home with your family. And on that basis, then you can start that healing process because we need to heal the brain from the bottom up. We cannot start from the top and medicate or try to um, heal whatever experiences that this child has been through. We need to start from the bottom in developing those relationships. And we know that the things that we need to do need to have that rhythm and they need to be repetitive and they need to be predictable. And the massage and school program has all of those things. Hmm. Okay. So the repetitiveness is helpful. The actual touch itself is helpful. Um, do you have any studies or have you noticed anything about, I mean, do children, do they have a different partner every time they do this or do they tend to have the same partners? Are, are friendships forged or is this just a temporary activity that just kind of gets them through the day? It, it'll depend on the classroom. When we're introducing the program, when an instructor goes into a classroom, that's one of the beauty of it is that one instructor can implement it throughout an entire school. And it only costs $325 to um, train an instructor. And then there's never any cost to it beyond that. So one person can go in and implement it. And when we go through the implementation process, they um, generally will have the same partner just because it saves time. After that, um, it's up to the teacher what she wants to do, if she wants to do. But story form to tell you um, about how it can work is that one of our instructors was implementing into a classroom, and there was one little boy who said he didn't want to be partners, or he didn't want to do it. He wanted to do the routine, but he didn't want to do it with the little boy that he was partnered with because that little boy had heard him on the playground earlier that day. Mm -hmm. And she said, okay. She goes, well, would you be comfortable giving him the massage? And Bonnie said, well, yeah, he could do that. And so he did. And after he was done, because of that oxytocin, that connection, that energy field that's combining there, um, he said, you know what, I think I'd be okay with him giving me one. And so he did. And from that day on, those two little boys were always partners. They decided that 
they were really good together and they didn't want anyone else to be their partners ever. And so they were. And years later, the yeah. instructor's walking down the street and this boy comes up and he goes, hey, you're the massage lady, aren't you? And she's like, well, yeah. And he goes, I don't know if you remember me. And he kind of refreshed her memory and he said, I just got married. Guess who was the best man in my wedding? And it was a little boy. Those are the things we hear all the time. Yeah. That's what we hear from so, the children. Kind of a lifelong bond there based on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's huh. how those connections are there. And when I first became a trainer, I had gone over to London and Liverpool and observed different schools there. And one of the schools in Liverpool or in London that I had observed, it was there was two schools and they were in the same district. And so they were feeding the same population was feeding into them. And one of the schools was an academy. It was a very prestigious type of school, even though the children were coming from the same neighborhoods. It had a lot of money that was pumped into it. And the teachers were very involved with the children. Um, they all had very crisp uniforms. School was just beautiful. And they came in and they did the routine and they were so loving and so caring with each other. It just felt really good. You felt really good about the school. You felt good about the program and everything. We went to the next school, and the next school was in a basement. And it was a very low-budget school. The staff, in trying to brighten up the place, had so much stuff hanging from the ceiling and whatnot, trying to cover up all the pipes and the um, cement walls and everything of it. And the kids came in from the playground and they sat down on the rug and the teacher turned on a PowerPoint and she kind of sat back and didn't talk with the kids or anything and just said, okay, find your partners and started flipping through slides. But the impact on the children was the same. The children came in, they settled in, they found their partners and they connected and the sense of caring and respect and being connected with their classmates was just as strong as it was in that academy. Hmm. And that and that speaks volumes about it. There's another school, um, this one is less in Liverpool too, and this one was an early childhood family center. And they fed into seven different area schools, junior schools, what they call them. And the schools noticed that there was something different about the children that were coming out of this family center that they weren't getting out of any other programs that were the children were coming into. And they decided that it was the massage and school program. And that that was making the children so much more caring and respectful about with each other and um, showing just a higher level of self-control that they now all implement the program through all their grades, all seven schools do. Wow. So what about long-term? You gave the example of the student that clearly made a lifelong friend out of his massage partner. You said that the program only goes to up up to age 12. 
Is there thinking about mm-hmm. uh, why is that? Is that because of? Well, I mean, what's just the, because when you're getting into puberty and um, you know, there's there's a lot of things that we put in place, um, safeguards for appropriate touch, and that it's you know always done on the back or the um, arms, neck, and head. It's not you know any places where. Um, where any any appropriate touch could you know take place it's always sure. it has those boundaries and stuff that's built into every stroke is thought through very carefully even like doing the heart stroke you don't ever go out to the side it's always done with a vertical hand um, so that you're not going into a tickle zone or anything but okay. um I totally forgot what the question was. Was um, oh for the older kids and so, but but just because we're dealing with different issues with the older kids, um, just haven't expanded that the program to that age group. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah, that makes sense. But do the kids ever do it on their own? I mean, I used to be a substitute teacher, and I know every now and then there'd be groups of girls, and they would be touching each other and rubbing their shoulders and everything, and they mm-hmm. and they just worked it out between them. So, do those the kids who've been through the um, uh, massage program, uh, the massage and schools program, tend to do that, or you don't know? You know, and they do it also. Um, they bring it home. And they will come home and, and which is really fun with the parents will report back is that, you know, when a child comes into the door and they kind of let loose and home is their safe place to let everything fall apart. Oh, yeah. Well, now they're coming (laughs) in. (laughs) Yeah, now they're coming in. They're like, Mom, can I give you a massage? And they want to share what they learned in school. Well, what a nicer way to have the child coming in the door and giving you a little bit of a massage yeah. than to coming in falling apart. And and they also sleep better at night. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that they any, find... Any, I, I was going to say, anything like that, though, that, that kind of calms you down is going to help with sleep, don't you think? Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, you need to feel safe where you sleep. And um, yeah. for children who have experienced trauma, if they're, you know, one of the things that we'll do is a story massage, which is pretty much just using your fingers as a paintbrush and painting out the story. And so if a parent is sitting with their child and they're, um, the child's telling about their day and the parent is painting that out on their back, and so the child knows that they're being heard and they're being listened to, um, and it's a one-on-one interaction and they have that connection before they go to sleep they will sleep better because they know it's a safe place and they've had that safe connection yeah do you ever start this with parents i mean i could see where this would be really beneficial for parents because i mean when you're raising your children, it's stressful, and it creates stress between, you know, the the two parents. If you're a single parent, you have a lot of stress with that. Do you ever have a parent-child? You said you did with the infants, but with, with the older kids, do you do that? Absolutely. Um, a lot of my trainings, um, not necessarily with the massage and school program because I like to expand more into the storytelling and to some of the other activities which are out of the 
scope of the massage in school program, but a lot of my trainings are with, especially with um, foster care families and adoptive care families as ways to connect and bond with their children. But we have children, or other parents who have biological children that will attempt too. I just get asked by those groups to be, come and talk with them more. Um, but our, our instructors are all trained to be able to go in to do community events, to do after-school programs, to do um, with the Girl Scouts or the Boy Scouts or anything like that, or any type of um, family relationship as well. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, so there's a lot, even into children's hospitals is another area that we go, grief support. Um, would love to bring it into the prison system as a time and a way for parents and children to connect when the kids come to visit. Um, so there's a lot of different things. And the fun thing for me as a trainer is that every time I train a group, I meet people with new ideas of how to use it. Mm -hmm. And it's just amazing all the different ways that people will say, this will work really well in my situation because um you know this is how i can adapt it to to fit me and and so that's a lot of fun yeah yeah so you have your own business how did that start kind of started with the connected by touch um started with that when I became an infant massage instructor and i started looking at it, it came at a time where my mother um, had just died from cancer, and then my sister died from cancer six months later. And if you've ever lost family members like that, you know how you go through that little bit of a, where am I, what am I doing, am I making a difference? Yeah. And I decided I needed to branch out. I lost my mother and my, and my sister um, a year apart. So, yeah, I know okay. exactly what you're yeah. saying. You know, so so it was kind of at that time that I went, I, I need to make sure that this time that I have in this world counts. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I need to reach out and, and connect people and to work on creating better relationships and to do it on a grander scale than doing it on a, one to one, you know, with child care center or preschool or you know, or whatnot. Well, if, and so that's kind of where I just started from. Yeah. If a school were interested in starting this program, or do you ever do it with groups? I mean, I was I, I was a Girl Scout leader for many years, and I was thinking that you know that might be kind of a fun thing for the the girls to do for you know uh, uh, troop meetings and things and. Um, do you ever do that with, with individual groups or is it always just school? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We we do it with groups. We do it um, like if a school, we can do, schools have their options, whether they can have an instructor come in. We have like 150 instructors throughout the U.S. If you look at the website right now and click on a state, you won't get anything pulled up because we're just revamping that portion of it. Um, mm -hmm. But we actually have about 150 instructors. And so they can have an instructor in their area come in and implement um, within their school. Or they can send somebody from their school to a training and, um, and have them come and 
get trained and then come back and implement it. Or they can um, invite a trainer in to do a full school training so that all the teachers know what they're doing and um, and have a good understanding of why it works and how it works and um, and all that good stuff that comes sure. from taking a more intensive training. Do you ever get any objections by either of the students or the parents? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, people don't, people hear massage and they think of it as a, you know, strip down and lay on the table and have a massage. You know, they don't understand that these are, these are things that we did as a child you know, think about all the touch that we used when we were growing up, whether it was the hand clapping games or the um, playing Red Rover, you know, and sardines and all those types of things that children don't have a lot of in their environment anymore. And so this is kind of bringing back that casual, natural touch into mm -hmm. it. And, and people don't understand that right away until they take the time to learn about the program and hear about the program and start to look at all the benefits and how much that the grades and stuff go up when the children are practicing the program and how their um, security and being in school. I just had a parent who had, this is for an older student, but had just shared a report card with me where when their child was being bullied, the GPE of the student was at 1.9, I think. And once they got that resolved, two quarters later, their GPE was at 3.5. I mean, that's wow. how much stress affects a child's learning. If they are sitting there wondering when they're going to get hurt, when the next bowling type of um, situation's going to happen they're not relaxing and learning and their you know their brain is not focused on it you know how when you go someplace and you've got a phone call right before that and you're worried about that phone call and um you're not focused in on your meeting or whatever you came into well children aren't focused either on their learning if they're worried about something that's happened whether it was something that happened at school and they haven't been able to or at home before they got to school or something that happens at school and to make that transition of calming down and being able to learn um, and developing those relationships with the other students where they feel that it's a safe and secure place to be where they belong and feel connected so their learning goes up and as parents start to understand that and see that then they lose those objections. But we we start off, and in some classrooms, we might only have half of the students participating to start with. And it just takes time of them learning and becoming used to it. But you only what? have that, that participation because of the parent's choice or the student's choice? Sometimes a child will decide that they don't want to participate, and it may be a child who's been abused. And for mm -hmm. them to be able to say no and have that respected is really healing. Yeah. And and to practice that on a daily basis. I mean, that's pretty powerful of going, you know, oh, I can say no and it's okay. Nobody gets mad at me. You know, everybody mm -hmm. accepts it and it's just fine. Um, that That can be powerful in itself. 
Yeah, yeah, I would imagine that sense of, of, of control is really important when control has been taken away from you. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have my little control theories that I think everybody has to have control. Everybody needs to practice some sort of control. And in healthy relationships and in healthy interactions, that control is control over yourself. But in right. distorted relationships, it becomes control over the other person. Um, and that's an unhealthy thing. But I think control is very important. And I think we all need to feel control, uh, that we have control right. uh, in our lives. So I can see what you're saying about giving the child the option of saying no to something. But I'm I'm wondering, though, with children today, whether or not they're given that option in, in many ways. Or do you feel that this is a particularly unique way that they get to say, have take control? I don't know that they always have control over their own bodies. Oh, really? And okay. I think that that's important. Um, you know, sometimes they're forced into, into doing activities and stuff where they don't want to. And um, I was just um, I was just reading on on a Facebook site about oh a, a little boy who had um, was just had his own room and he decided that nobody with toenail or fingernail polish could come into his room. And the mom was posting, <laughs> is it okay for him to establish these boundaries and keep his sisters out because they love to wear fingernail and toenail polish? Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's his room. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. his room. And if that's what his boundaries are, and, and who knows, um, as I, the more I teach and the more people I interact with, I realize that there are some people that have an aversion to circles. There are people that have an aversion to certain colors, and um, and it just is, you know. And it's just we don't always stop and understand why. And he might not even be old enough to understand why he doesn't like no toenail or fingernail polish. Oh, but that's, him, yeah, I was thinking it was just being a, that that was a very clever way of saying no girls allowed. <laughs> well, they, he'll he'll let them in if they if they take off their polish, but he doesn't want them in oh, with their polish on. Okay, okay, all right. You know, well, so you know, just, it's depending on the I mean, the colors now are so you know black and green and you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, such colors. I could see where somebody, especially if they were littler, might be intimidated by that. You know, but yeah, I agree with you. Yes, I mean, barring you know sanitation issues, I mean, your room is your room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I always, I always said your control over your room, uh, um, you know, when it bumps up against my equity, then we have an issue. <laughs> so whatever, you, whatever you're doing in your room, if it's ruining, if it's risking my equity in my house, then we're going to have an issue. <laughs> but uh, other than that, hey, you know, everybody needs their space, that's, right? And even not your whole right. room. I mean. If, even if you don't have the whole room, you have that section of it is yours. And, you know, think of all the TV shows they used to have where the kids would, you know, pin a sheet down the center of the room when they had to share the room. <laughs> but, you know, it's whatever your little space is, that's yours. You know, that, that yeah. you should have children. 
you know, and kind of coming full circle there, you know, whatever that space is, whatever your body is, that's yours, and you should have control over over this, you know, until it bumps up against equity, you know, I mean, if it becomes a sanitation issue, then maybe mom and dad have to do something or whatever, uh, but uh, for the most part, all things being equal, that you, you should have control over that. Well, I think mm-hmm. the program's interesting. I must say I was kind of confused at first because I thought, hmm, trauma, massage. I mean, is this just kind of a, I don't know, I, I don't even have an adjective for it, uh, a, a little bit too, um, pardon the pun, touchy-feely. Um, but mm-hmm. you've, you've explained it and you've explained the value in it. And I think that other forms of activity uh, that accomplish the same thing, uh, like you were mentioning before with the, you know, hand clapping or music or singing songs or, you know, uh, those are the same kinds of things. They're just done in a different way. And I feel they're done in a different way. And they don't have the social connection. Exactly. And I feel very strongly that touch is so important. I think it's important for us as, as, you know, all age groups, not just children. Um, I, you know, I, I, I think a hand on the shoulder or taking a hand from, of someone, it has such meaning. Um, and many people, I mean, if you, if you've been single for decades, uh, if you don't have your family members have passed away, you know, I, you don't get touched. You just don't. Correct. And you don't. And that's, yeah. And that's a loss. That's a loss, and mm-hmm. and I think that people crave that uh, that um, interaction where there's touch. And again, I'm not talking anything creepy. I'm talking a hand on the shoulder. Right, or a hand, you're talking you know. about a normal the, the doctor who mm-hmm. pats your arm. You have more connection with them. Um, that's mm-hmm. another area where we really find is children with special needs really excel in the program because mm-hmm. they are touched so much in a medical way and they are prodded and poked and whatnot. And this is a time where it's a nurturing kind done to make you feel good and not because we need to do some tests. Yeah. And also the children that really can excel at it. Yeah. But, and, and, and they're put on a, that somebody else is not saying you have to have this particular touch. You're not, you know, it, Correct. it's not coming with those conditions. Uh, and I can see mm-hmm. that they must be great. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at our clock and I can't believe it, Melissa, but we've, we've been ta- chatting here for almost an hour and I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about this. Okay. And well, I thank you. Of, I, I appreciate it. I kind of wish this were around with my kids for a little Um Right. I, I know, me too. Yeah. <laughs> now that they tower over now, yeah. time. <laughs> but I, you know, I, my sixteen-year-old will still say, "Hey, if you want to practice, go, come <laughs> on, go ahead and practice on me, mom." And um, in the, you know, when I do, when I work with like the adoptive and foster care parents and stuff, they'll say, "You know, I did the." pizza massage and pizza massage is just as if you're pretending to make a pizza what are you going to do first you're doing it on the person's back and you roll out the dough and you together decide what kind of toppings to put it on you spread the sauce around and then you um, cut it into pieces and share one with your friend and um, 
and they'll tell me that their 16, 17, 18-year-old children will ask for this on a nightly basis yeah. as a way That's to good. calm down and share their day. Yeah, very nice. Very nice. Melissa, thank you so mm-hmm. much. Now, I want you one more time to give out your website in case somebody wants to get hold of you. Where would they go? They can either go to connectedbytouch.com or they can go to misa-usa.com or they can catch us either one of those on Facebook as well. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you very much, Melissa, for being with us to talk about massage and trauma and children. I would never have put those together well, thank before. You very so, much. Thank you, and thank you for listening on Three yeah. Ways. 